As a believer, reading God's Word is a critical part of your daily spiritual journey. And because it's so important, we've created a unique new resource to help you immerse yourself in biblical truth and open your eyes to all God's Word has for you. It's a free PDF download called The Word One-to-One that takes you on a guided journey through John chapter one. With biblical text and short commentary, each page provides insights that will strengthen your faith in an easy to read guided format. There's truly no other resource like this. Download your free PDF copy today at premierinsight.org forward slash resources. That's premierinsight.org forward slash resources. Understand, defend, and share your faith with confidence. This is Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Thank you for joining us on Unapologetic. I'm Ruth Jackson. And before we hear from today's guest, just a quick reminder to visit premierunbelievable.com for more shows, articles, and resources. And you can also register there for the chance to win a free book. And if you enjoy listening to Unapologetic, then please do consider rating and reviewing it on your podcast platform. But now for today's show. I am delighted to be joined today by Andy Gosler, Professor of Ethno-Ornithology at the University of Oxford and an ordained minister in the Church of England. He shares some of his fascinating story in this great new book, Coming to Faith Through Dawkins. Andy, many people would suggest that Christianity and evolution are not compatible. What would your response be to that? The God who is the ground of all being, who is the God of love, who is the God who we find through prayer and scripture and our own experience and through tradition. But as I say, that wasn't my tradition when I found faith, is the same God who upholds and sustains all of existence, um, which operates through what we perceive as the scientific principles. So if I go back to the concept of the image of God, so go go back to to Genesis and this idea of the Imago Dei, that you're created in the image of God. What does what does that mean? What do, does it mean that God looks like me um, or I look like God? But, you know, there are billions of people on this planet and we all look different. So do, does which one does God? No, that's don't go there. That's not what it means. What is the image of God? And the image of God that 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 I think most resonates with with this sense for me is bringing order out of chaos. From you, you see it actually in the beautiful words of Genesis chapter one. Um, you know, God moves over the waters. You know, the waters being kind of chaotic. Um, so there's an image of of chaos, and out of that chaos comes order and what is the most ordered thing we can think of of well it's not artificial intelligence it is real intelligence it's life 
the way that cells operate, the physiology, it's incomprehensibly beautiful and wonderful. Um, with, with a more nuanced understanding of God and a more accurate <laughs> understanding of biology, and we are getting that now, um, the resonance between the two is, you know, the, I, I spend a lot of time when, when Genesis talks about in, in creation that, you know, each day he says, and it was good. He saw that it was good. And I think, how, how would I define good from this? If, if that gives me a sense of what good looks like, what is it that is there that is good? And I can, I can focus on, um, yes, this sense of bringing order out of chaos and the, and the, and the fact that it all works so amazingly together and the complexity of ecology and with feedbacks and Gaia and all the rest of it, just absolutely amazing. But for a long time, um, I like to think, well, what, what I understand as good and therefore evil is that what is good is life affirming. And evil is what denies the affirmation of life. Um, and, and I found that the finding that resonance between the science, which is, you know, has been described as thinking God's thoughts after him, you know, um, that finding that resonance between, um, our, our Biblical understanding, a nuanced understanding, a nuanced theology, a modern theology, um, and a modern biology is itself life affirming. Because what creates, you know, like, like when I was a child, what creates anxiety and a lack of peace is conflict, conflicts of ideas. And nobody can live with the idea, well, there's the scientific truth and there's this biblical truth and they're both true. And, but I don't know how to meld them. And so the only way I can live with that is to either put them in separate boxes and be a Christian on a Sunday and the rest of the time I do science. Well, that's, that's, <laughs> that's no way, you know, um, or to just totally reject one or the other reject religion, be a scientist, reject science and think you're being a Christian. Um, but you're, you're not being a better Christian by denying the creation that is God's gift to everything. <laughs> um, and so find that way. You know, Jesus appeared after the resurrection he appeared to the disciples in the upper room and his first words to them uh were peace be with you his very first words i mean they were terrified they thought whoa we saw you die you know and here he is and and he says peace peace you know uh, uh and and so that's that's the thing we need to find the peace and and understanding that this is not a clarion call for every Christian to be 
a molecular biologist or for every molecular biologist to be a Christian, but to understand that actually these are beautifully resonating aspects of reality. Um, and you'll find peace for yourself if you if you can understand that. I suppose some of what we were talking earlier about the limitations of the neo-Darwinian framework of natural selection, that might be partly why some Christians think that perhaps evolution isn't compatible with the account in Genesis, for example, because of that kind of, you know, what Dawkins says about nature being red in tooth and claw and survival of the fittest. And, you know, in some ways that's totally antithetical to God and wanting to look after everyone else and put God first and, and not ourselves first. Would you say that actually when we get a better view of the scientific, the correct view of evolution, that actually it is easier to reconcile that with the Christian perspective? Uh, yes, yes, definitely. And and uh, so a, a, few, a few things to say uh, about the literal reading of Genesis. Um, we have a we have a word in theology called exegesis which is which basically says you know approach every text every biblical text every text of a script of scripture with an exegetical frame of mind which says don't worry so much about the exact wording because for one thing, it wasn't written in your language and you're reading it in, in a translation. And which translation are you reading? Don't worry about that. Search for the meaning. What does the me, what is the meaning of this text? And so much of the, the, the literalist argument that I hear about uh, Genesis, which of course, conflicts with a scientific narrative because it's not an exegetical. It's worrying about the commas. Well, I'm sorry, it wasn't written with commas, not in the Hebrew. So, you know, what what are you what are you talking about? You know, that that that's not the spirit of that text. It's a beautiful, it's an absolutely beautiful allegorical narrative, and that and the fact that it's allegory does not make it less important. It makes it more important because the relationships that it describes between us and the rest of creation and with God is absolutely critical to our well-being. Um, and, and what does it say? Uh, it, with an evolutionary understanding of the, the tree of life, that is the um uh the seven branched you know uh lampstand of exodus um which is uh, a symbolic presentation depiction uh the menorah is the word i'm just thinking about it. <laughs> the, the the menorah the menorah is is the symbolic representation of this symbolic text and you know that the two come from the same sort of time so you've got these seven days and you've got this this image of creation of the menorah um the sense that the same hand created all these 
plants and animals and everything else and also created us and incidentally on the same day as, day as the creepy crawlies and the cattle. Um, put that with an evolutionary perspective and incidentally use a Franciscan perspective to bolt the two together because St Francis recognised all of life as kin. Now, you know, he even, even to the extent of, um, you know, our little sisters, the birds, but, but actually, you know, he uses the language of kinship even for the sun and the moon, you know, brother, mm-hmm. sun and sister moon. Everything is brothers and sisters, which is the language of kinship. And we use the language of kinship you know, religiously, when we talk about God as Father, um, the evolutionary perspective underpins that, or, or I shouldn't say underpins it. I say affirms it, the sense that I have evolved from uh, millions and millions, maybe billions of generations of life, that all my ancestors, I, I can find kinship with a banana, because I. I share genes or the evidence is that I share genes with them. But actually, at some point in the history of life, going back billions of years, at some point, we shared a common ancestor. Now, that is science totally in agreement with St. Francis's understanding of all life as kinship, which is represented in the menorah and in the meaning of Genesis 1 is that you are kin with those creepy kiwalis and the cattle. Um, and that's, and that's reflected. The, the, the days of creation, you, you hear all sorts of things. Oh, well, maybe, maybe a day represents so many millions of years. Yeah, maybe it does, but no, I, I don't think it does. I think this is, this is a rhetorical, you know, uh, framing to tell you this took time. And don't, don't get hung up on whether it was, literally a day it was 24 hours oh well days were longer in those no they weren't actually (laughs) they were shorter because um the moon was closer to the earth and and uh, a day was actually shorter millions of years ago so so that doesn't help (laughs) you uh so no don't go there we you know christians have understood since the time of origin you know first century um, Roman theologian, Roman Christian theologian, who who read Genesis and said, "Well, this is obviously a um, well." He didn't use the word al- allegorical, but you know that that's that's the thing. He, he said, um, "I can't remember the exact word he used," um, but you know, it, um, figurative. That that's it. He said, "This is obviously figurative language. It's not, you know, it's more more poetry and metaphor." And if we deny the importance of metaphor in faith, then we've got to deny all the parables because it's exactly the rhetorical uh, method that Jesus used to teach. He taught people by asking questions. Um, there, uh, I, I was reading this as a, a book I, I learned about recently. Uh, about the 307 questions that Jesus asked, um, and he only answered three. (laughs) (laughs) He lets you answer them for yourself, you know. Uh, And that's the spirit of engagement with these beautiful, beautiful texts. 
And to reduce it to literal readings is actually to to take the spirit out of it and to reduce it to, you know, the phone book or something. You're listening to Unapologetic from Premier Unbelievable. Well, Andy, you've definitely covered this already, touched on it a little bit. But but if someone was to say to you, I couldn't even begin to think about believing in God because I'm a scientist, because there <laughs> is this fundamental conflict. How would you, as a Christian scientist, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I have to be careful with the wor- words Christian scientist, don't you? But, oh, sure, uh, of course. Uh, yes, you are a Christian, a Christian and a scientist. <laughs> a, a scientist who is a Christian. Um, That's a helpful clarification. Well, thank you. <laughs> uh Okay, so we've debunked the myth that science and Christian faith are incompatible, and we must keep on debunking that. So any Christian who says, I can't believe in God because I'm a scientist, you say, well, okay, let's let's talk. Um, you have your own reasons for not believing in God, and and they may be the same as mine, most most atheists who, um, and they're they're always very very quick to tell me, especially where where the collar. They say, "Well, I don't actually believe anything myself, um, but <laughs> I had this experience, or you know, whatever." Um, so, okay, fine. Whereas I don't generally find Christians running around the place saying, "Hey, I'm a Christian," you know. But the atheists are always very quick to to tell you whether you're wearing the collar or not, um, and and. Yeah, anyway, uh, another point. But people have their own reasons. And it has to do with fear. It come, has to do with, and which is a kind of uh, Genesis theme. Um, it has to do with, yeah, maybe they're running away from a bad religious experience. Um you know, like my experience as a child, where, as I say, God said to me, uh, or how I paraphrase it now, is saying, yes, Andy, that's religion done with. Now come and find me. And mm-hmm. there is no greater invitation. And there is no there is no more important thing that any human being can do um, because that is the gift uh, to us, the gift of being human is the ability to actually connect psychologically uh, to the intelligence, the wisdom, the, the, the love that is the ground of this creation. We cannot, we can, we can live in, in this universe and just ask questions about it. But at the end of the day, the issue of whether you seek God or not is not um, a scientific issue, and it's not a professional issue, and it has nothing to do with your academic credibility or your scientific credibility, unless there is a culture within your science of of saying, "Well, that's that's a problem." And of course, there is, has been that culture in biology, um, and. And but cultures change, and cultures can change very more easily and more quickly, um, you know, than uh, a Darwinian evolution <laughs> snails <laughs> of, of things. Cultures can shift in in a heartbeat. Um, 
the the fact that 20 years ago um i went to a an arosha gathering it was a it was a celebration i think of 20 years of arosha uk which um is a christian conservation organization and the children who were the the, the kids of arosha the, the the children of the people um who worked for arosha uh got up on the stage and they sang this song which went ah god's wicked <laughs> now to a to a person of my age to be told <laughs> that's not a good by thing. <laughs> a christian child that our god's wicked is like whoa okay that's a culture <laughs> shift isn't it because the word wicked has completely completely changed and so cultures can change uh in in a heartbeat and the young people drive changes in the culture changes in in words, you know, and and older people like uh, like me have to. I nearly said like us. I'm sorry, with uh, older <laughs> people like me, you know, have to work out that lol means laugh out loud, and it's okay. Um, and they probably don't use that anymore because that was like yesterday's word. But what whatever uh, in a in a text. Um, but any so so this this thing of I couldn't believe no. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. But you're a human being and therefore somewhere in you is a desire to search, not just to know whether it's true, like some academic thing, let's tick that box. But no, because when you make that connection, you'll find that, that God works with you um, in the most gracious and beautiful uh, way and it is life changing. Of course, it's life changing, and of course, you discover that it's it's true as well, and it, it can guide your guide your science and academic understanding as as well. Andy, you are an ethno ornithologist, but you are also a priest in the Church of England. How did that come about? Uh, so the call, it is vocation. It is the origin of the word vocation. Is a sense of calling. And I kind of discovered that I was having experiences um, that uh, not everyone around me in church was having. And I got to sort of thinking a bit, why, why is this? What, what is God saying to me? And through a slightly convoluted path, so I... I preached once, and it was about uh, nature, uh, conservation, faith, um, and the bishop got to read my sermon. Um, this was Bishop John, um, and I think I was a church warden by that point, and so I met him at some gathering. And he said, I, I, I heard your, I read your sermon. It's very good. You should preach more often. And, um, so then, um, I, I went to, I was at a diocesan, um, synod, uh, where we had a little talk about, you know, it's, it's fine for people to preach from time to time, but if they're going to do it frequently, they should get a license. So I talked to my vicar about, a license to preach. And he said, well, actually, Andy, um, I think you should be considering 
lay ministry. And um, and uh, eventually I got sort of sent off to a couple of people to, to talk about the vocations advisor actually in the deanery um, who said to me, um, Andy, why lay ministry not ordained? And, you know, a little voice in the back of my head is saying, hey, this is getting a bit out of hand here. You know, I just want a license <laughs> to preach from time to time. And, and you know, and, and people are seeing something in in me. And I, I was sent off to talk to uh, Diocesan Director of Ordinance, a DDO, um, who expressed it quite interestingly as the difference between lay ministry and uh, ordained ministry as a, a sense of the difference between what you do and what you are. And um, I, I know that's that's a, a slightly problematic um, framing of it, but it did make sense to me. And, you know, it, it, it spoke very powerfully about, you know, um, and this, this sense of identity that was coming through that is that well maybe maybe I am actually being called to priestly ministry, um, and uh, so then I was put in touch with my own uh, DDO Raymond, and um, uh, went went to the you know bishops advisory panel, and um, well we we went through that with a any kind of problems and and um and it is a sense that i got very i've had all, throughout my life actually um that actually if you're doing the thing that you're called to do the doors fly open and if if you're not doing you know then then they don't and the doors were flying open and there is a resonance actually between ethno-ornithology um, because and 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 priestly ministry because the connection that people find with nature, and especially through birds, but not only through birds, um, the connection that people find through nature, of course, is the connection people find with God. Um, it's a very well-trodden uh, route to finding God through through nature. Um, but having having used that language, I don't actually believe that people find God. I believe that people allow God to find them um, because we put up all these barriers to, I couldn't believe. Uh, why couldn't you believe? Well, because my own street cred as a this, that, and the other, you know, what others will think of me uh, might be harmed if... Uh, and there has to come a point where you say, to hell with that. That doesn't matter. I'm talking about my real identity and my connection, my real connection to the heart of, of this thing that I'm passionate about, with it, which is nature and life and, and, you know, having a sustainable future. 
Andy, you've definitely touched on this throughout the show. And just as we end, I'd love to know, you you must have throughout your career, but also personal connections, been surrounded by atheists, agnostics, people who perhaps don't know what to believe, people of other faiths. Why do you, Professor Andrew Gosler, believe in God? Um, because I have found the truth of the teaching that the heart of existence, the heart of reality, the heart of what we religiously call creation uh, is love. And I've discovered that God does love all his creation, even me. And people have said to me, one of the many uh, grounds for their atheism uh, people have said to me, I couldn't possibly believe that a God who created all of this, when I look at the universe uh, and it's billions of years, and I look back to the oldest light uh, reaching the earth and it's 13 or 14 billion years old, um, and the size of the universe, and I'm this tiny little thing on this tiny little rock, um, on this tiny, you know, this tiny little solar system, blah, 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 one of one of billions of galaxies, um, billions of stars in billions of galaxies. I cannot believe that the God who created and sustains all of this should care about me. That just seems untenable, which is a kind of humility. <laughs> and humility is good. Uh, humility is the most precious thing for a disciple. Um, but I spin that. I would spin that and say, what is so special about you that God shouldn't? I can't believe that the God who sustains the whole of creation should care about me. My answer is, what is so special about you that he shouldn't? Because I found that to be true. Andy, thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. And I will make sure that there are links in with today's show so that people can find out more about you, about the work that you're doing, about your ministry. But thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. An absolute pleasure. As always, you can find out more about our guests through the links with today's show. We would love to hear your feedback. Do drop us an email with your thoughts at unbelievable at premier.org.uk or get in touch via social media. And don't forget, there are more shows, articles and resources at our website, premierunbelievable.com. You can also register there for the chance to win a free book. That's premierunbelievable.com. And if you enjoy listening to Unapologetic, please do consider rating and reviewing it. Thank you for listening and see you next time. You've been listening to Unapologetic. For more shows, resources and our newsletter, visit premierunbelievable.com.